Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is the epistle that is the last epistle that Paul the Apostle ever wrote. This isn't no small talk letter. This is no little lightweight, oh, I'm just going to tell you little floofy things that might fill in for a nice sermon fodder, just something nice thought to dwell. This is the really important stuff. And Paul has told Timothy, well, let me just pick up with verse 13 of chapter 1. Some retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith which are in Christ Jesus. Then he told them to guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us that treasure which was entrusted to you. And then he tells Timothy something heartbreaking. He says, you're aware that all that are in Asia have turned away from me. And he even names a few of the guys, Phygelius and Hermogenes. These guys, they've turned from me. Now, this could be heartbreaking to Paul because who do we have on record that went to Asia first and shared the gospel? Paul. There was something interesting happening in the churches that Paul is writing to Timothy because Timothy had left in charge in First Timothy of the church at Ephesus. And Paul had had those men at Ephesus say farewell to him as he was sailing on towards impending doom because the prophet Agabus had said, hey, look at whoever's belt this belongs to. And he ties himself up. He says, this is what will happen to the man who owns this belt. Remember that in the book of Acts? All the guys in Ephesus, the elders are like, Paul, don't go. Don't do it. You're going to be in bonds. And Paul says, I'm ready to be in bonds and to go to death for the Lord's sake. It's one thing about Paul. He knew this wasn't sign up for just the wonderful Christian experience. If we were to sell the Christianity that Paul experienced as, hey, everybody, we've got a great thing. We'd like to sign you up for a lifetime of beatings and imprisonments and shipwrecks and they're going to stone you to death and throw you over the wall as dead and you're going to suffer abuse and ridicule and you'll be chased out of town. Would you all like to sign up for this? This is the best thing that could happen to your life. It's called Christianity. If we package Christianity how it was packaged for these early disciples today, would this fly in America? I mean, we get the American church saying, just tell me all the good stuff, okay? I don't like suffering. Pain, I'm allergic to pain. We want everything to be really wonderful and smooth and easy and the light version. But this is the stuff that Paul says, listen, Timothy, you're aware that this has taken place. In this early church movement, one of the things Paul would have to fight against the most is one of the things he has to mention right now in chapter 2. It says, You therefore, my son Timothy, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also and suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Now the hard-working farmer 
he ought to be the first to receive the share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. And for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they might also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with its eternal glory. The purpose of this whole thing, that he would endure all this, is for a really big prize, that all who are chosen might obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus. This is where salvation lies. Everybody in the cultures around us say, this is a little narrow-minded, saying it's only in Jesus. I didn't make up the thing. I just found that if that's the way God set it up, and he says there's one road that comes to me, it's a narrow gate. Those that enter, they got to come through this straight way. There's a broad road, and it leads to destruction. And many are those that are there upon. I choose to go, God, put me on the right road. And if it's just narrow and it's only through Jesus, whose name means Yahshua, Yehovah Shua, God's salvation, then, well, the Bible says there's no other name named under heaven by which a man can be saved. There's only one name, Jesus. It was given to him for a reason, guys. It's a very important name. Yehovah Shua means God's Salvation, Yahshua, we contracted in Hebrew. When it gets converted to Greek, Jesus, to the English, we say Jesus. doesn't matter. It's the meaning of the name. It doesn't change no matter what language you translate it into. It still means God's salvation. And Paul says, we have this thing, God's salvation, that I'd like to talk to you about. Now, he's about to die. And he says to Timothy, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, you know what had happened in the early church? Soon after the message of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins had passed through the culture and people had all heard about it, pretty soon some guys started creeping into the church and saying, well, that grace thing's nice and all, but we need a few more rules. It's a little too simple. You guys just go with that believe on the Lord Jesus stuff and you shall be saved. We need to have like an attendance addendum. Believe in the Lord Jesus and at least attend 15 of our services, and get your little attendance stars. And you need to at least tithe, of course, to our particular whatever group it is. Anyone think I'm making this up? There are groups out there, they got whole lists of what you have to do. It's, yes, we believe in faith in Jesus, and here's our rules to help you complete that faith faithfully. You know what? I always love to bring up the thief on the cross. You know, the guy that was next to Jesus that said to Jesus, remember me this day when you come into your kingdom. Please, Lord, just remember me. Crying for mercy. The other thief was going, if you're the son of God, get us off of here. You know, why don't you save yourself and save us too while you're at it? Jesus turned to the guy who said, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what was his response? Today you shall be with me in paradise. I love that guy. He ruins all these guys' rules that they add. See, because Jesus said, this is the work in John 6 that you must do. You must believe on him whom God has sent. They said, what work must we do to have everlasting life? He said, this is it. 
Believe on him whom God has sent. That's all there is to it. Here's this thief on a cross next to Jesus. He says, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the guy's just begging for mercy. Jesus says, I'll tell you, this day you shall be with me. Now, how many of you believe that day that that thief was in paradise with Jesus? How many of you believe for real he really got in? Now, did he get down and do all the rules that different churches have come up with? You know, you have to tithe at least 10% of your income to be part of the kingdom. You have to be baptized, of course, confirmed. And Paul would be first on the list to stand up and say, Timothy, what you need to be strong in is not rules. What you need to be strong in is grace. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. I want to show you something. Now, some of you will know verse 8, Hebrews 13, 8, where it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow forever. The beauty of having a God that is consistent. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Now, the author of Hebrews in verse 7 says, To remember those who led you and who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Paul is actually going to tell Timothy and invite him to imitate his faith. And the author of Hebrews is going to say we should imitate the faith of those ones that were faithful to teach us. You know, some of you had really good teachers in the Word of God. And there's nothing wrong with imitating the things that are good that you have learned in the Lord. And then we're told Jesus Christ, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those things you learn of Him, you can count on them being good for time-tested forever, that you can hold fast to those things. But listen to verse 9. Hebrews 13, 9. It says, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those thus occupied were not benefited. Did you know that some people, they think you're going to be strengthened by their take on what food you eat? In fact, some groups will make it right away as soon as you come in. Do you eat meat or do you not eat? And they'll judge one another. Paul had to write a whole discourse about this to the Corinthian church and say it's not whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat. It's whether you care about your brother and try not to stumble your brother that's important. Don't make food an issue. Jesus said it's not what enters a man's mouth that defiles a man. It's what comes out of his mouth that follows him because what comes out comes out from the heart, the abundance of the heart. You want to find out what's in someone's heart? Just sit back and listen to what comes out of this little thing perched between their nose and their chin. Because that little flapper will tell you more about what's in their heart than anything. See, we automatically speak whatever it is that's in our heart. It just flows. Boy, if they're into something, you're going to find out, aren't you? They got a certain hobby or they got a certain passion. Their love of their life is their hot rod. It'll come out. You can find out what's in a person's heart by what comes out. And if what comes out is filth and garbage, and you think, whoa, that's like worse than the worst trucker I've ever hung out with. It's just foul, obscenities. That there are those that are thus preoccupied with the foods they make rules about food, like it somehow is going to strengthen your faith, what foods you do or do not eat. And what does the scripture here teach us? It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace, 
undeserved favor, unmerited favor, something you didn't earn. Remember those merit badges in Scouts I tell you about? People like badges that they can earn. They can wear it proudly. I did this. But when we're talking salvation, it's not a badge that I can say, I earned it. It's called unmerited favor. I didn't earn it. The Bible says when I was yet a sinner, at the right time, Christ died. The godly for the ungodly. The just for the unjust. He died for us. And I can't earn it. I can receive it, though. It's a gift. He says, I'd like to give you a gift. And we're so conditioned. We Well, what do I have to do to get it? And he's standing there going, here you go. He's handing salvation to us. And we're going, um, what's the catch? What do I have to do? You know, everything else I've had to merit. I've had to earn. And Do you know that in the early church, as soon as Paul had finished preaching the gospel through the Asia Minor region, and he had gone on and passed on back all the way to Jerusalem and gone back around, he's only on his second and third missionary journey, and already false brethren are creeping in saying, you know, it's really nice that you learn that thing about grace and Jesus and, and the Messiah dying for you, you know, but we got a few more rules. Did you learn how to wash your hands before you eat? You know, there is a ceremonial proper way to wash. Oh, and the Jews have it down. And you must do it this way. And even they even bugged Jesus' disciples. Said, Your disciples eat with unwashed hands. That's where we get the discourse from Jesus. It's not what enters your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out. We make all the things the wrong issue. We make it all. How can we earn salvation? And Paul is going to die. And he knows it. And he's already seen what men will do after the gospel of grace has touched their lives and it has set them free and brought them into this introduction of everlasting life. They're getting introduced to the greatest thing there is and he is suffering now for the gospel even to the point as of imprisonment. I might be imprisoned physically, my body's in prison, but you can't imprison the word of God. The word of God is still going out even though he was in prison. So he says to Timothy, Timothy, you be strong, not in the rules. Oh, the rules were there. That was one of the biggest problems in the early church. There was propensity, a desire. Men just wanted to see, what's the rules? You remember the council at Jerusalem in the book of Acts where they said, if you're going to be saved, do the men have to be circumcised? Do you have to keep the law? Do you have to keep the Sabbath? What's the rules now that we're introduced to the club? Men just like rules. I think they're so weird. Even though they buck against them, they still want to know what's the rules. What do I have to do? And you know, Paul says, what you got to do is stay strong in grace. It's just a really hard thing to teach in our culture where we have all these overambitious, driven people who desire to make everything happen for themselves and say, I can earn it for myself and you don't have to give me nothing. I'm living the American dream. I'm making it happen. I just believe I can do it and I can make anything happen that I believe. You know what? You can't make your salvation happen unless you believe on the right thing. And you can't get salvation from the author of salvation, Jesus, by anything that you do to merit it. All you can do when he comes to your door and says, I'd like to give you this gift, you say, I'll receive that. You receive it. 
Not because you earned it. It was given as a gift. It was paid for by him. It was a very expensive gift. Cost him his life. But he says, I'll give it to you. You know, I found this really interesting. Go to somewhere where the people are very poor and tell them that there is a God that loves them so much that he has the free gift of salvation for them. And all they have to do is receive it. To a poor person that had to be in a place where they've had to receive maybe sustenance daily, something to eat. Tell them, I've got something more valuable than daily food. I have eternal life. And all you have to do is receive it. Way more willing to receive than the rich. The rich are stuck up. I don't need anything you have. And if I do, I can buy it myself. The only problem is, can you buy salvation? No. It's given freely to everyone. Rich or poor alike. It's just that Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Those rich don't like this message, that there's actually something available of such great value. What monetary value could you put on everlasting life? How much is it really worth? Let's put a dollar figure. How much would you pay for everlasting life? But Paul, having been forsaken by all those that were in Asia, Paul is imprisoned, and the guys that he had labored and helped plant the churches there, they had turned against him. And there was a great movement of Gnosticism moving into the church. People were coming up with these things that were very legalistic. They were adding to the gospel, believe in Jesus plus be in our group, plus do it our way, plus do all these things. And they had all these extra things that they had added to the gospel. And Paul writes Timothy and says, you know what you need to be strong in? Grace. Guys, it is only grace, the grace of God, that I tell you it is the greatest thing to strengthen the heart. There's nothing better than being around a gracious person. Gracious people are those kind of people. You do something wrong and you screw up and you make a mistake and they, it's okay, it's okay. And you know, when you're around someone like that, it's nice. Because they're strong in grace. Now, have you ever been around someone when you make a mistake that they never, ever let you live it down till the day you die? How does that make you feel? It's condemnation, isn't it? It is the grace of God that helps us be strengthened in our heart and move past condemnation. You know, we all make mistakes. We're all works in progress. But it is grace that helps us to grow through those awkward moments and those mistakes and those problems. And it is good for us to be strong in grace. If we're not strong in grace, I tell you, we are not going to do good at the rest of what Paul has to say. We won't be able to suffer hardship as a good soldier. We won't be able to be a soldier that doesn't entangle themselves in the everyday affairs of life or runs the race with the right attitude because it's grace that helps us to get back up after we do fall. We don't use grace as a cloak for sin. Paul, in fact, writes that to the church at Rome. Remember Romans 6, he says, what shall we say? Shall we continue to sin that grace might increase or abound? And he says, God forbid. No, it's not a cloak for our sin, but grace is that thing to help me grow out of sin. And making a bunch of rules, I have not found, ever helps anybody grow out of their sin. 
but teaching them the grace. Now listen to what Paul says. He says, these things which you have heard from me, verse 2, in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. One of the things he tells Timothy is, Timothy, you heard me teach these things. You heard me teach about the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now take these things that you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and it says entrust them to them. Why do you entrust them to them? So they can pass them on. They can teach others also. One of the greatest things of the gospel is grace, it needs to be passed on. When we learn it, one of the best things we can do is pass it on. I believe we're just designed to be vessels for his grace. God desires to cause his grace and his mercy to flow through us. And you know, some folks, they don't need to just hear about the grace for them. Because, yes, it will do great things for them. But the greatest things it will do for them is when they turn around and pass them on. When you turn and teach your children or your grandchildren or your students or maybe some child that is around your workplace, your colleague has to bring their son or daughter and they happen to be hanging around and you get the privilege of passing on this beautiful flavor, that sweetness, the thing that strengthens the heart. Here, have you learned about the grace that is in Christ Jesus? See, because other religions don't teach their God has grace. If you learn of some of the other religions, you'll find out their gods are mad at their people. They demand their people to do these things and to give sacrificial worship to them and heinous stuff. And we have a God who says, I love you. And I died for you. I did the hard stuff. Now I entrust to you this wonderful message that strengthens the heart. And it's called grace. If you don't want to be a person filled with grace and you don't want to let grace pass on through your life to others, I can tell you pretty much will happen. People won't like being around you. Just flat out, straight up, they'll just go, you know, that person's a crank. That person, they're unforgiving. That person is resentful. That person has got all these hangups. But if you're a person that lets God's grace flow into your life, pass on through your life to others, you even can entrust that grace to others and teach them about that grace. You know what will happen? People will be like, I want to be around you. You're great to be around. I love being around you. Because there's nothing more attractive to our soul, to our heart, than grace. It's the thing that the scripture says it's good for our heart to be strengthened by. Guys, we can't get too much of God's grace. We need his grace. It really makes life worth it. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, celebratethelord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
return to take us home. Heaven is in my heart. The spirit and the bright they come.